0: Right, let's turn to Romans chapter number one this evening. Romans chapter number one. Real privilege and blessing to be with you, and appreciate your pastor inviting us to come. I'm here from America. I have my grandson Sawyer with me. Sawyer's 13 years old, and he loves the Lord Jesus, and it's a blessing to have him as my companion along this journey. I'll be 40 days all total in Australia. And we have started there in Calandra, and then we're here, and then we'll be headed north and be in about 10 different works. We'll wind up up in Catherine in the Northern Territory and uh, preaching in a lot of places between here and there. And we'd ask you to remember us in prayer. I've got a, a calendar in my Bible right now that I've passed around in America uh, with the various places that we'd be preaching. And folk have signed up to fast and pray for every day while we're here. And we know that works. I was in Paris, France several years ago. Brother Art Somerville, who was the director of C, the Society for European Evangelization, he said, I'd like to have a protracted meeting. They had a storefront building in their church. And he said, I'd like to go at least three months. I said, Okay. And so I said, I'll need two things, Brother Art. Number one, ammunition. So we printed up 350,000 Gospels of John and Romans with the Eiffel Tower and the beautiful French cover on the front. And then I said, I'll need prayer support. So we sent out emails and letters and phone calls. And we had somebody sign up for every day of three months to fast and pray for those meetings. And being in Paris, it's an international city. We had folk all over the world praying, and we had people from all over the world saved in those three months. We had Africans from Kenya that took uh, Thursday and Friday every week to fast and pray. We had Kenyans saved there in Paris. We had a Chinese house church in Kuwait. They said, we'll take days. And I'll never forget preaching in that meeting, looking back at the double doors of the storefront building, And uh, this little short Chinese lady come walking in one night. We'd already started the service. She came and sat down. She was a mail-order bride uh, in France. She couldn't speak French, but she could speak English and Chinese. And since we were doing it in English, she said, I was just walking by, I looked in, and something just said, you need to be there, and just pulled her heart. She came into the meeting, sat there for two weeks, listened to the Word of God, got saved by the grace of God. We had folk down on the Amazon in Brazil that did some fasting and praying. We had one young lady, uh, she got saved and she uh, was there uh, in the Salborn University, graduated as valedictorian. And so they had her give the speech to her graduating class to all the professors. And she told them how Jesus had saved her and how good God was. And it just went on and on. And I said that to say this it's an international ministry. Distance is nothing with God. He's a God that's near, He's a God that's far. And out of every kindred, out of every tongue, out of every tribe of people, the Lord's calling out a church for His namesake. And I believe we're coming down to the closing times of the Gentile church age. And what we do, we need to do quickly. And so I'd ask you to remember us prayers. we're on this journey, uh, that the Lord's providence will let us meet folk and give them the gospel and see people saved and encourage God's people along the way. Let's stand tonight. We'll reverence God's word together. Romans chapter number 1, verse number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated under the gospel of God, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith. The wrath, of faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the privilege to be here. Thank you, God, for this congregation that you've gathered. Lord, we appreciate you letting us hear these songs of these precious folk tonight and see the testimony among the Aboriginals and how, God, you're drawing out a people for your namesake among them as well as other kindreds of the earth. Lord, I pray tonight that you might bless this word as it goes out. We know that even you said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he hath anointed me to preach. And if you needed the anointing, Lord Jesus, being the sinless Son of God, How much more do we need that tonight? Lord, I pray you'll accompany your word. Put it down deep in hearts. Do that word. You may be seated. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm preaching tonight on the creed of the Apostle Paul. The creed of the Apostle Paul. Now, God has inspired him to write the book of Romans. Accompanying that, he's going to go to Rome. And when he goes to Rome, I'm sure those Romans ask him this question. Who are you? Why are you here? And what do you want? And that's legitimate questions to ask somebody when they show up and begin to preach. Well, in chapter number one of the book of Romans, God has him by inspired pen write down what his creed is. A creed is something you adhere to, it's something that you cleave to, it's something that you believe, it is your uh, life's desire. And we find that in these verses that I've just read to you, it explains the apostle Paul, explains what he was about, and this creed should be the creed of every child of God and of every church. Now he opens up in verse number one saying, Paul, a servant. Imagine now going to Rome, the capital of the then known world, with all the political power, the financial headquarters, the educational center of society. And this fellow shows up and he says, Paul, a servant, a servant. That's the lowliest position that there could be in the Roman kingdom. And you, a servant, are going to come preach to us and tell us what we need to do? But then he attaches to that a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's what makes all the difference. It's not who you are and it's not who I am. It's who the Lord Jesus is. And we dedicate ourselves to serve him and magnify his name. And the greatest thing that can be said about any of us is that we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse number 1, he says, I'm not only a servant, but separated under the gospel of God. The gospel was not a sideline issue for Paul. It wasn't something that he just slipped in once a week and then forgot about until he came back on a Sunday service somewhere. But he said, I'm separated unto the gospel. My life is all about the gospel. And then he explains that gospel, which he had promised the four, by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. The apostle was confident and he knew that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and the basis of that was what the Old Testament had preached and prophesied from the Garden of Eden all the way through. My grandson you read some scripture to me about the crucifixion there in the Gospel of Matthew before we came and while I'm just laying there with my eyes closed listening to him read, I... I'm hearing this and as it was fulfilled and as the prophet said and as the prophet spake and all the scriptures in uh, the death of the Lord Jesus that were fulfilled from the very parting of his garment to the casting of lots for his vesture, uh, right on down the line, everything. Jesus didn't just appear out of a, a cave somewhere and say, I'm the Messiah. No, he was the one to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And when Paul would go into the synagogues on the Sabbath, he would reason with them out of the Scripture. And he would say, this wasn't written five minutes after Jesus died. This was written before hundreds, yea, thousands of years before. And you read it publicly. You know it so. And Jesus fulfilled all of those just like soldiers saluting their captain as he comes through, the prophecies of God all saluted the Lord Jesus and said, that's him, that's him, that's him. We're not following some warm, fuzzy feeling or some fairy tale. We're following the facts of the scripture. And the apostle says, I come to you in Rome, not talking about wise tales or Greek philosophies. I'm talking to you about the fact of the prophecies of the scripture. And then he said it testified of Jesus Christ our Lord who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. He was all man. He came into this world took on a body of flesh. But in verse number 4 it says and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. He was all God. And great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. All God. And all man. That's our Savior. That's our Lord. And then he gives us the great commission for the sixth time. In verse number five, he said, By whom we've received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Now, it's been given in Matthew, the Lord Jesus said, Go into all the world. In Mark, in Luke, in John. And then in the book of Acts, ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And for the sixth time, he says, now if you're going to be obedient to the faith, then you have to be willing to go among all nations for his namesake. You cannot take the go out of the gospel. I'm trying to fulfill this verse of scripture in my own life. Go ye Therefore, and as believers, there's many ways you can go. You can go physically. You can go spiritually. I'm looking at these prayer cards back here on the wall. Had a lady in Bible college where I went that stood up and testified one time. She said, my husband goes to Bible college, and I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? What can I do? And the Lord said, you can have a worldwide prayer ministry. So they had prayer cards all down the altar of that church and she went through and picked one of the prayer cards up of each person and she stationed them through her house and while she's washing dishes she's praying for Africa and then she moves from there to the laundry room and there uh, she's praying for Alaska then she moves to her bedroom and she's praying for Japan and she literally goes all the way around the world in prayer as she cleans her house. And she said it made her house cleaning go by a whole lot faster. And there she could have be helpers together by prayer. Then you can go and be obedient to the faith and among all nations financially. And when you give and support these missions, what you're giving is time in mint. If you make $20 an hour and you invest $20 for missions uh, in that offering, what you have done is given an hour of your life to free that missionary up or that ministry up to go and do whatever God wants them to do. And when you get there, Paul said, it's not because I desire a gift. He never was a covetous man. But he said, I desire that fruit may abound to your account. And you'll have an investment and you'll have a reward over on the other side. And so the apostle is laying a foundation now for that which is his creed. In verse number 14, he begins talking about what he's all about. Number one, he speaks of debt and responsibility. When he shows up in Rome, he says, I'm here because I'm debtor. Both of the Greeks to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. How many here tonight in this service would jump up and say, Praise God, preacher, I'm in debt. Anybody? No, we want to get out of debt, don't we? There's a fellow in America named Dave Ramsey. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not. Some of you nod your head. Dave Ramsey was a real estate guru and he overextended himself and his debtors called him in and he lost everything and became broke, literally broke overnight. Well, he started a ministry on how to get out of debt and how to stay out of debt. And when I read this verse where it said I'm debtor, I thought, man, Dave's philosophy would fit in here real well. How to get out of debt spiritually. Number one, Dave says you got to realize you're in debt. Some folks sitting on our peers say, I don't owe anybody. I don't owe anybody anything. Well, you do. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, we're to glorify God in our body and in our spirits. We're not trying to pay for our salvation by any means. But out of a heart of gratitude, we ought to say, Lord, if you did all that for me, the least I can do is serve you. I've read, you've seen stories about someone Uh, In Africa, falling in quicksand, he's up to his neck. The native's about to die and somebody comes along, throws him a vine, pulls him out. And from thenceforth, he says, I am your servant. I would be a dead man. My life would be no more. And now from here out, I will serve you. And I thought if a heathen in Africa that knows not God would be that grateful for somebody saving their physical life, how much more should you and I as believers say, Lord... I would have died and went to hell. I would have faced judgment forever, and rightly so. But you died on the cross for me. You shed your blood. You sent your spirit. You sent your word. You convicted me. You drew me, and now I'm saved by the grace of God. And the least I can do out of a heart of gratitude is just serve you. And then the apostle says, I am debtor, both of the Greeks and of the barbarians. We've got to realize we're in debt. And then, not only do we realize we're in debt, but if you want to get out of debt, you've got to have a desire to get out of debt. Some folk don't have a desire. Uh, We'd like to have a boat, darling. Uh, You know we can't afford it. Oh, put it on the plastic, baby. Put it on the plastic. We won't worry about it. And deeper they get. They they really don't care. They, They don't mind living in debt. But if you mind living in debt and you want to get out of debt, then you start doing something about it. And as God's people, we need to do something about the debt that we're in. Ramsey said, if you're going to get out of debt, you start with your smallest debt. You pay that off. You owe $10 down here at the petrol station. You go pay that off. Don't charge again. You got that debt taken care of. Then you got a car payment. Double up on your car payment. Get out from under that. You've got that taken care of. Now you've got your mortgage on your house. Double up on that. Work two jobs. Whatever you got to do, just keep working at this and and take from the smallest to the largest. I thought about this. As God's children, to get out of debt, we need to start with our smallest debt. That husband needs to look at his wife and say, tell me about when you got saved. How do you know you're saved? Well, you know I'm saved. I know that, but I want to hear it from you. That wife needs to look at her husband and say, Tell me how you know that when you die, you're going to heaven. You know the Lord Jesus. Well, and and if they're really saved, they're not going to get angry. I never have got angry at anybody that asked me of my testimony. I say, yes, I'd love to tell you how Jesus came into my heart and changed my life. But you'd be surprised that the husbands and wives, that if that person died, they don't have a clear testimony from them that they know the Lord Jesus. And then your children, you brought them into this world. It's your responsibility as moms and dads to get them prepared for the next world. We say, well, I bring them to church, and that's the preacher's job. No, it's your job as a parent. And if you sat down and had that spiritual talk with your children, It may be, child, that you need to look at your mom and dad. Been many a mom and dad saved because a child has begun to question them about their salvation. It may be a grandfather or grandmother that winds up keeping those grandchildren and instead of turning the television on and playing a cartoon, have you ever just taken the Bible and told them how grandma or grandpa got saved and how they too can be saved? And then what about The next debt would be our friends, people that we're acquainted with. You say, oh, but preacher, you know, I don't want to offend them. I want to remain friends. You're not much of a friend if you don't tell them about Jesus that lives in your heart. I don't know at the times I've heard this. Pray for so-and-so's family. I work with this guy. He uh, got killed in an automobile accident, coming to work, and so pray for his family. I get around talking to the fellow and say, You work with that man, huh? Yeah, how long did you work with him? Oh, probably 20 years. Well, was he a saved man? Did he know the Lord? Uh, I don't know. I never did get around to asking him. And I think how sad that is. I don't want to work with somebody 20 minutes, much less 20 years, without trying to inquire about their salvation. And yet that's a debt that we need to pay. And then our community, that's another big debt all around here you got folk moving in from all over Australia and all over the world and addresses and, and residences change so continually. And I tell churches it's our responsibility to make sure they know in our community that we're here. They may not like us, but they need to know we exist. Amen? And then our nation, then our whole wide world paying the debt. He said, I'm debtor. And he said, I'm debtor to all men, to the Greeks and to the barbarians. To the Greeks, those that know Shakespeare. To the barbarians that shake a spear at you. And I mean, you know, they live as barbarians. He said, I'm debtor to them. He said, I'm a debtor to the wise, a debtor to the unwise. We don't set up qualifications for people to hear the gospel. You got to be of this race or that race or this social class or that social class. That's out the window. I like what Brother Joseph Kangu said in Kenya, Africa. He pastors uh, the Karabuni Baptist Church in Matwapa, Africa, preached for him many times. And when they have political elections there, they always have riots in the street, and a lot of folk usually die because of the way they just handle things. Brother Joseph was harboring Luos and Maasai's and, and different ones of different tribes in his church and protecting them during these riots. And one of these fellows came to him and said, Joseph, you're Gary uh, You're one of the strongest tribes here. Why do you harbor these other people? He said, sir, we are of the tribe of Jesus. I love that. Praise God. I'm American, you're Australian, you may be this, you may be that, but when we get saved, we're of the tribe of Jesus, and we are blood brothers. I had an uncle I preached for. He would say, Randy is kin to me three ways. He's kin on the Bain side, for I married Ruby Bain, and I'm kin on the bishop side because I'm a bishop and his mother was a bishop. But what I like is I'm kin on the blood side. We're both washed in the blood of Jesus. Boy, that's what brings that bond and that fellowship with us. But we're debtors to all men. He said, that's part of my creed. I don't know how far I'll get in this message, but you remember over in Kings, there was these four lepers set outside the wall. They were starving. There was famine in this village. And one of those thinking lepers said, if we sit here, we're going to die. The Syrians are out there and all they can do is kill us. So let's go see if we can find something to eat out there. They went out there and God had sent a rumor and the Syrians were gone. And the whole camp was there vacated. These lepers went out and they began to pillage those tents. They would eat bread and boy, they'd donned clothes. And oh my, they struck it rich. They had everything these Syrians had left behind and uh, boy they're eating they're blessed oh I'm so full we've got so much here yes we are so blessed and they're burping and belching and bragging on all that they have they're, they're blessed every way you could think of and I can see one say oh here's a feathery down bed I, I'm going to rest a while and they're laying there and they begin to talk and that thinking leper says you know we do not well if we tarry till morning Yeah, but those folk back in the camp, they wouldn't give us the time of day. They'd let us starve. They wouldn't let us in the village. Well, that doesn't matter. We have more than we could ever eat. We have the answer to the famine, and we need to go tell them. And sure enough, they went back and told, and the village was saved because somebody that was so blessed, they stepped outside the realm of sight into faith and received all those blessings And now they're coming back showing the token of those blessings. That's you and me. You're richer than you could ever imagine. The riches in Christ Jesus. But we can't just rejoice and say, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm saved. We need to go back and share with others. Even though they may not want to even give us the time of day, we still need to tell them. And after a while, maybe somebody will get saved by the grace of God. So part of his creed is, I have a debt and a responsibility. Secondly, he says, I have a readiness and a depth in my heart that I have to deal with. Verse 15, so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul said, I've got a driving force on the inside. I call it in me is. Boy, what a way to say it. God knows how to say it, don't he? As much as in me is, I am ready. We need to have some in me is stirred up in our soul, some zeal, some fire in our bones instead of just laying back and saying, well, you know, I'm just casually going to serve the Lord. No, there needs to be a drive and a fire in our heart. John Wesley used to say, give me a hundred men that fear nothing but God and we'll turn the world upside down. We need some young men, some young ladies Moms and dads that are on fire for God I think about David Israel's on one side of the mountain The Philistines on the other Goliath's in the mist Forty days They're at a standstill Nothing's going on Israel's afraid to move And to fight the giant Goliath And a young fella shows up on the battlefield By the name of David And actually he's the bread man father sent him with bread and corn and cheese for his brothers that are on the battlefield and when David walks up Goliath stands up and stretches and blasphemes God and the armies of Israel it sounded like woodpeckers knees were knocking all over among the camp of Israel these soldiers were scared to death something swelled up in David and he said who this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God they said oh David the man that kills him his father will be free from taxes he'll be a great man in Israel he'll even get a bride from the king David said sound like a good deal to me this devil needs whipping and that the benefits go along with that then he runs into his big brother and his big brother said David What are you doing here on the battlefield? I know your pride. I know the haughtiness of your heart. And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Do you hear disdain there? Do you hear mockery? Eliab was jealous because David got the anointing and he didn't. And you're going to run into brethren that are going to say to you, Calm down. Settle down. Don't get so excited about this thing. You know, you've got a lot to do in this world and life before you really get on fire and go out. You're always going to run into those. But David just threw his hands up and said, What have an owl done? He didn't argue with his brother. He just turned around, and walked off, headed toward the battle. He got a tap on the shoulder. He looked, King wants to see you in his tent. He goes into the tent. There's Saul. So, you want to go fight this giant? Yes. You are but a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. You can't do that. David said, wait a minute. I sleep on a bear skin and I cover with a lion skin because God gave me grace to kill the lion and the bear when they came after my father's sheep. And the God that gave me the power to do that is the one that will deliver this giant into my hands. And Saul said, okay, okay. If you're all fired up about that, you've got to be one of my soldiers. Here, take my helmet. And he puts this big old helmet on his head. It looks like a wash tub. It's so big on his head. He puts these greaves of brass on him. He straps his sword on him. And he sends him out the door and the sword's dragging the ground and leaving a furrow behind it. And as David walks to the mouth of that uh, tent, I can see the soldiers looking and they begin to laugh. <laughs> look at this clown. And the Bible said, David assayed to go. That means he stopped and thought about it and said, I can't fight the battle in Saul's army. This won't work. I've got to get what God gave me. I've got to be what God wants me to be and I've got to use what God has given me. And he put off all that old Saul fleshliness and he took his sling and his script and his staff and went down in the valley and Goliath mocked him. But David said, you come to me with your sword and your shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he wound up. And God guided that rock and zing right in the middle of Goliath's forehead. That rock went on the inside, bounced around, made mush meat out of his brain, put dents in his helmet, and Goliath's eyes crossed and he hit the ground thinking nothing's ever entered my mind like this before. And a dust plume rises up. David gets on top of him with that big sword. what? Chops his ugly mug off, pull, picks it up and shakes it at Israel. And when he did that, those soldiers poured off the side of that hill like you'd slapped a beehive, and bees swarmed out all over. And man, they had a great victory there that day. And you know why? One young man said, I'm tired of the norm. I'm tired of just standing here and watching Goliath and the Philistines. I have some in me ears. I am ready. We need some folk that will step out of the ranks and say, Hey, I want more than just sitting on a pew. I want more than just hearing a sermon. Paul said, As much as in me is. And he gave his life. And he said, I am ready. None of these things move me. Neither can I my life, dear. And he was ready. Then lastly, I say his creed was that he knew the dynamic reign of the gospel. Verse 16, he said, All of this is because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul said, I know what the gospel did for me. And if God could save me, the chief of sinners... I feel like he could save anybody else. And if anybody knew about the power of the gospel, it was Saul of Tarsus. He fought Jesus with both fists balled up and said, I'll exterminate this name off the face of the earth. He held men and women and compelled them to blaspheme. He held the coat while they stoned Stephen. He had the blood of God's people on his hands and he had driven the church into hiding in Jerusalem and he acquired letters from the chief priest to go 160 miles up to Damascus to stop Ananias and those Christian rabble rousers up there put an end to all that. Toward the end of his six-day journey as he's approaching Damascus, something happened to him. The Bible said there shined round about him a light from heaven. He later testifies it was brighter than the noonday sun. And that's because it was not natural light and it was not artificial light. It was God's light. God dealt with Saul of Tarsus on that road. And as he experienced that, he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And in that moment of time, as he called on the name of the Lord, he unballed his fist and he opened his heart. And calling on the name of the Lord, God washed away all of his sins, changed his life. And here's a blessed verse when he went to that synagogue where he had intended to go in the first place, they were all glad their hero of Judaism had showed up. Oh, he'll put a stop to Ananias and all this crowd, but they didn't know what had happened. So he said, I'm glad to be here, and I want to preach to you today on who the Messiah is. And he takes that Old Testament and unrolls the scroll and the prophecies and all that, and he says, I have met him. On the road to Damascus, his name is Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and I intend to serve him the rest of the days of my life. And the Bible says they in the synagogue said, we're amazed. Is this not he that came to destroy that name and now he's here to preach that name? And it just baffled them. I hear testimonies of people from all over how God got a hold of them and God saved them. And it is an amazing thing that the Lord would save any of us. But if you are saved, you know that power, the grace of God that redeemed you. And if you know the power of the gospel, then you shouldn't have any hesitancy to tell other people what Jesus has done for me, He can do for you. And Paul said, I believe that gospel will work anywhere. And it did. It worked in all these other places because the gospel knows no bounds. And whatever tribe, whatever kindred, whatever people God sends you to, if you'll give a clear presentation of that gospel in dependence on the power of the Holy Ghost, God will move in their hearts, open their eyes, and many of them will be saved by the grace of God. I'll close with this. Some of you the Lord may be dealing with to preach, may be dealing with you to be a missionary, may be speaking to your heart about going across the street and talking to your neighbor. And you may feel like you're not qualified. Well, you're not. First time I got off the airplane in India, I saw all these smoked up priests and Hindu gods and goddesses everywhere. and I said, What is a country boy from Green River, North Carolina, doing here? These people have been drinking milk with rats and worshiping in these temples since they were children. And for me to convince them to change all their gods and goddesses, I can't. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, You can't, but I can. And if you give them the gospel, I'll do the work. You just give them the gospel. I preached in the Hyderabad gardens there in India. And that night, this dear little old lady come waddling up the aisle. She had the dot between her eyes and all that. And we spoke to her and she said, Tonight, I'm ready to renounce all my gods and goddesses and trust Jesus Christ as my Lord. And she got saved that night. And as she turned around to walk off, the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, I told you, I told you been there 23 times and we've seen multitudes saved by the grace of God but it's not me and by the way it's not you it's this power of the gospel and if you'll honestly serve the Lord and give yourself to him and try to pay that debt God will accompany that gospel Paul said this is my creed that's what I'm all about Let's stand tonight.